Hello, and welcome again to the Brick Cave Media Podcast. My name is Bruce Davis. I'm the author of Gold Magic from Brick Cave Books. The Brick Cave Podcast is brought to you by the BC Book Club, Brick Cave Media's community portal for readers that love Brick Cave books and authors, and all books, by the way. Uh, You can join today and be part of the Brick Cave story at bcbookclub.com. And my name is Sharon Skinner. I'm the author of The Exile's Gift, also from Brick Cave Books. We're here tonight in the Brick Cave studio, located at the Brick Cave office, right here in beautiful downtown Mesa, Arizona. Hey, let's start with some writing updates. Sharon, what are you working on? I'm still working on the same thing, Bruce. I'm, I, <laughs> But I have a goal to get the draft finished by the end of the year. So I have made some progress. And I actually, and we'll talk about this a little bit, um, I actually used my inside outline tool to figure out why I was feeling lost, get myself back on track. And I revised my inside outline. And now I know exactly where I'm going with the book. So I'm feeling really good about that. What are you working on? Well, I'm still pushing through with uh, Silver Magic, the sequel to which Platinum ex- and Gold Magic. Which I'm excited to get. <laughs> um, I'm about probably just shy of halfway through Okay. from what I have in my head as to what events have to occur and where I want to go. But since I write by the seat of my pants... It's already changed three or four times just in the last month. Yeah, I understand Um, that. (laughs) So we'll see how that works out. Uh, I am hoping to get well into it before the end of this year because I'm working my tail off right now on my day job. But as of the afternoon of the 21st, I will be off until New Year's Eve. Unfortunately, I've got a trauma shift New Year's Eve, and that may... (laughs) Oh, you had to, you know, it sounds like you had to really give to get in this case, Bruce. (laughs) Yes, I did. (laughs) (laughs) The first week in January is going to be pretty tough. After that, I think it'll slow down. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, um, yeah, my goal is to get the draft done by the end of this year, and uh, I have a week off from my day job, so I'm going to be uh, slamming hard on it at, at that point in time. I have other things that I'm doing. Uh, I have other uh, I have clients that I'm working with with the book coaching, so those are probably going to slow down just a bit over the holidays and then pick right back up. So I don't really get time off from that because I've got a couple of clients who are just raring to go and I have one who just is dying to be finished also by the end of the year so we're trying to get her she's so close she's got like a half a chapter left I think after the what I've got on my plate to uh, give feedback on so she's very excited to be done with her draft uh, by the end of the year as well which means I'll be working through yes, the end of the I year can see that. yeah so tell me more about the inside outline. So the inside outline uh, that I use is a tool that was created by Jenny Nash who's been a doing book coaching for, uh, gosh, uh, decades at this point. She she wrote and sold a few books, but found out that that's not where her heart was. She just really wanted to help other people write books. And uh, she's actually made a, a very good living out of it and a business out of it, and she trains other book coaches. And that's where I got my certification, was through Author Accelerator. And she has this tool called the Inside Outline, and it's 
it's really an interesting tool because at first I thought, oh yeah, just another outline thing. And I'm not, I'm a pantser. And the only time I outline is when I get toward, you know, after I've written most of the book and I get to that point where I'm like, okay, I, I know what I, where I, where I'm headed. I got to get to the end. So now I'll plot out what now has to happen to get me there. Right. Um, but I'm, I'm starting to become a real believer in this inside outline. Now, uh, for me, I haven't used it to completely come from idea to book yet for my own work, but I've seen it, I've, I'm using it for my clients and I'm seeing it as really effective for them. Uh, what I did do though is uh, when I found that I was stalling in my current book, I saw, I thought, well, I'll just go ahead and do an inside outline and see what's going on, right? Because it's a real, it's a way to distill the plot points and also the internal journey in a way that you can visualize it and see it. It's three pages. You, you're supposed to keep it down at three pages max. Um, and it's single spaced, but it's double spaced in between each scene. And you plot out on the, um, the scene, the main scene, and then the point is also part of that paragraph. And the point is, what's the point of the scene? What does it do to drive the story forward? How does it impact the character? What choices do they now have to make? Or, you know, what kind of reaction are they going to have? And then the next scene should be a, because of that, this happens. So because of that, this happens. And so the next scene is the, what happens? And then the, you look at the point. Now, sometimes I've had people come to it. I have one client who uh, used the save the cat method and she plotted out her book and she's been thinking about this book for years, right? And she plotted it out with save the cat. We took that. We were able to take the plot points from save the cat, throw them into the scenes in the inside outline and then have her determine what the point of each of those was and then we were able to massage that to make sure that one thing led to the next led to the next and it was meaningful along the way that there was a point to why it was happening and what's really interesting about it is that when you lay it out like that you can see where the big holes are you can see where the you just happen to have something happen to your character stuff is and while that's okay you're really looking just for the tent pole scenes in this outline not the nitty-gritty oh this hap happened to happen as well just the tent pole scenes right so it's three pages and when I used it for my middle grade I didn't like, I, what I basically did was I filled it out based on what I had written and what I thought I was going to write next. And it was terrible. It was like, I looked at it and I went, God, this is all stuff that's, it's so cliche and it's happened before. And I think I saw it in a movie and it's just like, I can't write this book like this. Nobody's going to want to read this. Right. So I was able to then take it and, um, step back and think about it and start writing again after I redid the inside outline. Well, I did it once, started writing again and realized I was not comfortable. And I was not comfortable because I didn't like some of what I had changed because it didn't track with who my character was. So I went back and revised it again. And now I'm really excited about it. And I'm really happy with it. It's exactly what needs to happen in the rest of the book. I mean, I knew where I was going to end up at this point anyway, but now I know that it all tracks and it all fits together and I know what I need to write next. So I'm about 43,000 words and I'm going to have to dump about 
three or four thousand of those pretty easily, pretty readily going to have to just gut that piece. And that piece got to go, that piece got to go. But I have about 10,000, 15,000 more words to write on because it's a middle grade. It doesn't have to be, doesn't have to be 80,000, 100,000 words. And um, I think it's going to be really good. So that's what I know about the inside outline. And I'm using it to great success with other uh, authors and uh, pre-published writers and and clients because uh, I had a client recently who filled it out and it was going along pretty good. It's like, you know, okay, I think the key thing is that the scenes were making sense in the order that they were in, but some of them didn't need to be in and some needed to be combined and some we weren't quite getting the point. And then all of a sudden, the whole story veered left. And it's like, that's another book. You know, that what you're doing now with this character is it, it could be a whole nother book. So it doesn't make sense to me. So we're, we're, gonna, we're having that conversation, right? And she's like, you're out. You're right. You're absolutely right. But she couldn't let go of the characters in the story, even in the outlining, which was really interesting. So, so that's where we're at. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I might give it a try. Well, I can, you know, I'm happy to share with you what I know about it and, and share with you how the process works and, and we can, we can talk about that. Okay. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, that's a, it's, it's a tool that I didn't think I was going to really embrace the way that I've really embraced it. But the, the really cool thing about it is that the, the plot point and the point of the plot the scene so the scene and the point they go together so well and for me because I'm a writer who writes from character a lot of times I put what's the point of what's going to happen I know that better than I know what's going to plot so I know what the character needs to find out or learn before I know what the scene (laughs) is that they learn it in a lot of times so you can come at it from a lot of different ways but it seems to work for both uh, plotters and pantsers in some way shape or form so I'm kind of excited about it not all tools are built the same. Not your mileage I may am, may vary. I though. am not. Um, how do I put this? I have not ever really used writing tools like that. I I come at this probably amateurishly as mm. a um, more organic growth. Right. I mean, I think I do okay, but um, I, I've not found a tool, I've tried a few, that really speaks to the way I think and, and what my process for writing actually is. And, and you really hit the nail on the head because I think process is so intimate when it right. comes to writing. And I do tend to still come at things very organically myself, but I use a lot of tools in revision. And, I, and I'm used to that um, because I have a tendency... W- because I'm organic, getting to a place where it's all mushy and messy and things aren't quite where they need to be and I need tools to kind of sand the edges and hammer the the dents out and things like that. I I think possibly, I mean, I've gotten to places like that. But because of the way that I write and the fact that I'm a poor typist at best, um the actual physical writing for me is very slow. Mm-hmm. I'm not sitting at the keyboard, you know, clackety-clackety-clack. Um, I'm clack, clack, <laughs> clack, clack, clack. Um, and so 
I notice as I'm going through, wait a minute, this is bogging down. This isn't flowing. This right. doesn't sound right. And I have written five, six hundred words and then said, no, uh, this just doesn't work. Yeah. <laughs> just cancel the whole thing. Let's go back to that scene and we'll just start again. And I'm more clackety clack. Uh, when I get on a roll, I get on a roll. But again, it, process is process, right? right. It's, it's all very personal. But, you know, and there are people who don't need tools to ever write a book. And that's okay, too. Oh, I'm, I mean, I'm there's saying, certainly I'm, no, I'm, no reason I'm why always, you have to. I'm always looking for right. this kind of tool or that kind of tool that might help me smooth where I know I have rough spots out. Right. I will write great scenes and then get bogged down in how I get across town right. to go to the next How am I going to transition <laughs> to the next thing? Yeah. Yeah, I I agree. I think we all have our, our strengths and weaknesses, and I think that's one of the, the fun things about coaching is that when you spend time with somebody, you start to learn what their strengths and weaknesses are, and so you can uh, help them to level up on their strengths and um, also help them to get past the weaknesses. We And we all come from different directions, you know. I come from a very character-driven uh, kind of voices-in-my-head direction with my writing. And other authors come from a very plot-driven, this happens, then this happens, then this happens, you know. And then then they get to the point later, you know. So I, this may or may not be a tool for you. It's, you know, I don't think one size fits all when it comes to writing. I or art of any kind, but I'm finding this very useful for me, which I was, again, very surprised about because even the Save the Cat for me was like, um, yeah, once I've written it, I could break it out into Save the Cat, but how do I make that work at the beginning? I don't know, so, yeah. Well, all right, so yeah, let's talk more about that offline, about that, in that tool. I may look at that. Yeah, happy to share. So, uh, let's talk a little bit about, hey, what you been reading, Bruce? You been um, doing any reading? Right now, I'm going back to 1980s or earlier science fiction. Okay. Like? Um, well, far, far back, The Moon is a Harsh Mistress. Uh. Um, Neuromancer. Um... William Gibson. Ah, okay. And then that... I, I knew the title. I just couldn't Then I followed it. that up with The Difference Engine. Um, and rediscovering some of those authors, which has been interesting because these are more edging toward, you know, hard sci-fi, techno writing. And it's surprising how well some of it holds up and how badly some of it is dated. And yeah. and it's yeah. like, ooh, you know, <laughs> I understand this was cutting edge, you know, 30 years ago, but man, <laughs> yeah, this is clunky. Yeah. Um, I have finished, um, what did I just finish? Um, oh, the uh, Shadow of Zorro. Oh, yeah. Which was, it's not, a, it's not fiction. Mm -hmm. This is about the media Zorro and ah, the history of okay. the Zorro, of the Zorro legend, right, right. which began 
way back with Douglas Fairbanks and The Silence, and then, you know, kind of classically morphed into the Disney TV show that everybody knows, loves, remembers, and then into the later Zorro movies that, you know, departed from that. And then a most recent incarnation on Spanish TV that I don't know if it ever made it to this country. I have seen episodes on Netflix, um, which is kind of a going all the way back to the very classic descriptions and, and adventures of the Zorro character. And so there's this whole book about how this cast this long shadow across popular culture. That's interesting because... You know, for a very long time. Right. That's interesting because I have a book on my to-read list now uh, that's uh, the the making, the history and the making of uh, Wonder Woman. Right. Right? So uh, um, I have that on my to-read list. So I, I, we should talk more about these two books together maybe <laughs> once I've read that. Yeah, it, it was... I mean, you know, it's there's all it, it's one of those kind of shorter on text and longer on testimonials and pictures. Right. There's a lot of pictures in there oh, as well. Um, but yeah, it's it was a it's not very long. It's only about you know maybe sixty seventy thousand words if that. It's not one of those big thick tomes, you know. Right. Right. And it's it's very. Uh, easy to read. It's, okay. it's just really nicely written and very easy to follow. I like I'm not to, sure I, like I agree with some of... This guy's clearly a heavy Zorro fan. <laughs> you kind of have to be to write an entire yeah, book about... About Zorro. Zorro. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, so that's been fun. Yeah. And uh, what am I working on now? Um, so uh, let's see. I, I I finally read Murderbot, the first book, Murderbot. Oh, yes. Yes. So, and I know you want to talk about this because I know you really like these books. Um, so I didn't. I get why you like the books, and, and I totally get why you like them. I enjoyed it. Don't. Get, I'm not going to slam it at all. I I enjoyed the book. For me, it was like. Um, it was interesting. It was a really interesting exper- experiment in. Uh, the psychology of this character, but beyond that, it was is kind of standard fare. You know, it's like, oh, yeah. you know pretty the, standard. The first, particularly the first couple of them, don't really break a lot of new ground in terms of situations and actions. There's not a lot of uniqueness to it. What's unique is, is the, the character character's point of view, right? Who would rather just watch media and. Have everybody leave him alone. I don't and know. See, to that how do I keep the stupid humans from dying? <laughs> Wait a minute. Okay, so that aspect is unique, but the other part of it I totally can relate to. <laughs> Especially <laughs> in these like, times. Right? right? Especially like, now. And I'm like, how can I just go hide in a book and, and not have all yes. the, the people bother me? I, right? I, or so, I want to watch Netflix. All of Netflix. <laughs> oh, right. right. Yeah, exactly. So I don't know. I related to that. Yeah. That no, I can that see part that. Of it. The whole protecting the humans aspect, I was like, oh, that's really honorable. Can I go read my book now? And I was like, ah. No, it wasn't so much honorable as, all right. It's my it's job. It's my job. I, I have I to do my, do, job. do my job. If I don't do my job, they'll know something's up. That, yeah. But, he, but, but that's not necessarily 100% either because that the character also came to care about other than keeping, oh, yes. a, you know, keeping a low profile. And, and again, so, 
There was some character arc there, the, a little bit. The character arc is actually spread out over all of yeah, the that's, novellas. Yeah, that's what I expect. And so as you get into the other ones, you yeah. see that spark in that yeah. first one continue to grow until he actually makes real friends, you know. Okay. And, and then cares about them. And, and, and in his introspective moments, I was like, why do I care about this person? What what's going on? Why yeah, is this happening? So I, no, I think that'd be interesting, and and I'll probably read more. Um, the it's because certainly. It, well, it's w- without too big of a spoiler, in Network Effect, which is the the latest one that I've read, think of what would happen if a bot like that duplicated itself. Interesting. Yeah, <laughs> it gets very, very interesting. Well, the the nice thing is that it's it's basically novella length, if yeah. that. It's it's um, a smooth read. Uh, she, her writing is strong. It's very smooth. There's nothing awkward about it. You can just breeze on through. I mean, that book. I I read that book in just a few hours. Right. It just just and, and I I whiz through these yeah. in you know a day. Exactly. You know exactly. I mean, but I I've just I really love. Murderbot. Yeah, I've the, the another buddy. She's got some other interesting characters, but as I'm reading him, it's like I'm really identifying with this guy. I, I really like this Navy character. buddy who loves Murderbot. So, hmm, um, <laughs> I have to, maybe it's us Navy types. <laughs> I have to think about this. Um, but uh, there's a certain level of stoicism, I think, that is in is relatable for a lot of people with this character. Yeah. And um, and I'm, I don't know that that's why I relate at all, uh, because I am not your typically stoic person <laughs> at all. But I would say that um, that I can see why that would be very relatable yeah. uh, for people. Um, let's see, what am I reading now? Okay, I just finished, um, I just finished uh, Know My Name by Chanel Miller, um, and that was a tough read. Uh, I do highly recommend it. There are some, I will give you some trigger warnings for anybody who um, doesn't know. Uh, She's the young woman who uh, was, um, she's the young woman who was uh, found in an alley with Brock Turner uh, having his way with her uh, when she was uh, at uh, Stanford. So uh, she was not actually attending Stanford. She was just there um, at a party. But um, that was a tough read. But it was really worth worth reading it was um both um just uh, devastating and inspiring at the same time it's very raw it's very honest it's um she but she writes exceptionally well and uh, so it was very well uh, thoughtful and very well written i'm right now listening to um uh, michelle obama's becoming and i am learning so much about her and that's really important to me because I find her to be uh, a fascinating, fascinating person. And then I am uh, finishing uh, the book that I am um, reading right now is called The Alchemy of Us. And it is how uh, inventions that we have created shape us and our world. And it's written by a, a scientist and it's been fascinating the alchemy of us I'm the gonna have alchemy to, of us uh it's it's absolutely fascinating and um it talks about things like um 
the when the you know uh, it talks about the development of steel for steel rails it talks about and patents it talks about how that was uh, developed it talks about um, how what though how that impacted people so it, it there's a map and it shows you how long it would take you to travel right right by stagecoach and then how so. long by train and all this and how it compressed the world and it talks also about um, when Greenwich Mean Time came into being. And there was a woman in, in London who used to travel once a week with her watch. And she would go and set it and get it, um, get it uh, calibrated to Greenwich Time. And then she would go to London and she had customers. She had 100 customers. And she would go around and they would all set their time by her clock, right, by her big pocket watch and her father had started this then her mother had taken it over and then she had done it and how that all changed everything because apparently and I did not know this there's a bunch of things I do not know and you know and I'll probably forget half of them in, in another couple of years but I did not know that at that point in time before Greenwich Mean Time was established and we and we set time zones and set time that across the country Noon was whenever the sun was it was overhead. Overhead, and it could be twelve seventeen in one place, and eleven forty five in another place. Well, the, but it was noon. Th there, there were two. <laughs> just to to get on my historical right? high horse, I knew, I knew you would. There were several things that 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 was necessitated by, and the first was determining um, longitude, because that's all done by right. When is it noon where you are relative to a arbitrary point that you have fixed and right. you know what the time is there? So you had to develop first Greenwich Mean Time, right. the, the baseline time, and then you had to develop timepieces that would— That were accurate. That were accurate and would maintain— accurate time and thus the development of a special kind of steel for springs that would accurately exactly because you forth. you could not have a pendulum clock on a ship you had to have a spring driven clock right and then and then of course uh, the guy who used the crystal to to make an even more accurate clock exactly and then that was accelerated with the advent of the railroad and right. railroad timetables because time on a train is relative who knew, right? It's like But aside from that, <laughs> it became critical in particularly in, in Britain and then ultimately in the United States for accurate timing and accurate trains because farmers then depended on right. getting perishables Correct. like milk yeah, right. to the train station to be met by the train to take them to market before they spoiled. Right. And so this whole thing springs out of we have to have standardized time. Right. But then once we have standardized time, so now everybody's on the same, kind of on the same clock where we didn't used to be. And so we adjusted our behavior based on that because right. now we, and, and so it's really interesting, this push-pull of invention and behavior that kind of morphs out of because the invention changes how we behave in the world. It's so fascinating. I hadn't thought about I, it before. Well, the other one that, that I've always been fascinated by uh, is the invention of the telegraph. That's in the book, too. You'll love it. It's in and the book. Do, does he talk about 
the telegraph internet. It's it's actually a, a woman scientist. It's a she, but um, she uh, does she talk about what? Essentially, what we think of as the internet that you post your cat pictures on. Right. So when telegraph operators did not have anything to do, they would simply chat with one another over the lines, right. like in a chat room, right? and trade gossip and jokes and things like that. Well, then some bright boys figured out that they could go to the racetrack in Saratoga and yes. delay the this race reporting heard, yes. by 10 or 15 minutes and give their buddies in New York City time to lay off bets with the bookies knowing who was going to win. Yeah, yeah, I've heard that story. That story's not in the book. But what's interesting that what is in the book is, and I did not know this either. There's so many things I did not know. They originally tried to run the telegraph lines underground. Right. And that, that was not, not working. So then they built them above ground. Originally, you could only send one message one way at one time. And it was Thomas Edison who figured out how to make messages go back and forth. On the same line. On the same line at the same time. Right. I'm like, I didn't know that he did that, you know, so I don't know. Anyway, so I'm learning all these wonderful things, and I'm learning all these fascinating uh, bits, but um, the telegraph, right, changed how we behaved in the world, and it changed how Morse behaved in the world because b before that we always wrote letters, right? We wrote letters. And the reason that he invented it was because by the time he got the letter to tell him to come home because his wife was dying, and by the time he got home, she was in the ground already, right? So um, he, he really felt like if he'd have known sooner, he could have seen her, you know? And, and that was part of what was driving him when he was developing all of this you know how can we instantaneously um message right but apparently he started getting to where he was getting really like he would send a letter and then if he didn't get a response in the amount of time that it would normally take to get a telegraph message back he got mad at you know, whoever he was writing to and he'd write send him another letter why haven't you responded to me when it took two three days to get a letter out right <laughs> so <laughs> behavior changes based on you know expectations well, and, and now look at us now with look our at texting. Us with our texting. I mean, it's well, and it used to be you'd show up for an appointment and you would just wait until the person showed up. Now it's like, oh, they're not here in twenty minutes. I'm out. You know, <laughs> I got other stuff to do. Bye. You know, it, because we can tell time much more accurately. That's you know, and yes. then also we would just text them and say, where the hell are you? And, and and if they don't answer right away, when you're texting with your spouse and they don't answer right away, don't you get a little bit antsy? Yeah, I do. No. <laughs> Sometimes I do. So, well, that, that probably has more to do with the vagaries of our jobs and understanding that. Yeah. Uh, sometimes you. you what can't you might respond. be, you might, you be, might be elbow deep in somebody's body, <laughs> putting them um, back together. Uh, well, and I'm I'm curious I'm curious how she talks about the, I don't want to say luddites, but kind of the blowback from some of that. There was, yeah, she does bring some of that up. Yeah, she does. It's. It's an interesting book. I'm about 40% through. Yeah. Cause I would say, um, and she goes into, oh, she goes into photography. And uh, the first photograph of a horse running and how that was done. Uh, that was an, it, really amazing how Did that would be managed. Did she talk about that. how that was a bet? 
Yes, she does. She talks <laughs> about why it happened. So, cool. <laughs> so so it's a fascinating book. So I'm I'm really enjoying it. Um and I expect that I will learn many more things <laughs> and be uh surprised, uh but not really necessarily surprised, but um informed, more informed than than ever before. So that I will have to look for that because yeah. I've always been a student of history. Mm-hmm. But also a student of how various trends occur in in the context of the times when they're happening. So you, you right. have to see things. I mean, to us, telegraphs now seem like antique technology. And why would anybody get so excited about that? But you have to see it in the context of the time, you know, when... When you actually had people, and I have not seen the the new Hanks movie, News of the we- of the World, but there were actually people who traveled the West carrying newspapers from the big cities and reading people News of the World, even though it was months late. If you're out in the middle of the Dakotas, even months old news is still news. Right, <laughs> right. Well, it's, okay, it's by... I. I Anissa Ramirez and it's called The Alchemy of Us How Humans and Matter Transformed One Another and it's a materials it's it's mostly materials science so she's she's focused on the oh. materials science so so those are some of the things I love like yeah. like by 1890 we had driven the steam engine as far as it could go you 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 just couldn't make a faster more powerful steam engine Everybody knew how to make a steam turbine that would be even faster and more powerful, but none of the materials they had would hold up to the pressures and the temperatures, so they had to wait for metallurgy to catch up so that they could actually design something that would then work. The guy who developed the springs for the watches, right, for the clocks to make them more accurate, because um, you had to have a very specific uh, grade of steel. Um, and it had to have a certain amount of carbon in it, all this. He had guys stomping on clay to get rid of all the air bubbles and the, the pebbles and all that, you know, like barefooted, you know, the, the process of developing this. And I'm thinking, how the heck did you even think to do this, right? Or the guy who decided that uh, to make steel... Right. First, you have to get rid of all the. I guess it was carbon. Was it carbon? And then add just a certain amount in. Right. And but to do that, they blew air o- underneath and through it, mm-hmm. and turned in, and so it burned it off, and right. it burned it off. A, there, well, that that gets into the Bessemer furnace versus yes. the the steel puddling. She and she and talks about that, and she talks about the fact the, that the problem is you couldn't run a blast furnace. Until you had anthracite coal. Right. Because bituminous coal doesn't get hot enough to run a blast furnace. But the the steel, if you blow the air over the top of it, uh, apparently, it you don't have to keep heating it because then it's self sort of inflames. Again, that's the that's the steel puddling technique. The Bessemer technique was the was the next step which made it far more efficient and produced a far more uniform grade of steel. But the Bessemer uh, technique was actually 
developed before the other. It wasn't patented ahead of time because because Bessemer was from England and the other guy was from the US and he got some favoritism there and he right. didn't even wasn't even using it in the same way for the same reasons. He was just using it to reduce fuel cost. Like <laughs> fascinating stuff. Anyway, so um, I think we're kind of going to need to wrap it up because I think maybe we're boring our producer at this point. Um, Looks like he's falling asleep over yeah, there. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. I could go on and on about this, but I'll bore I people to tears. I know, but it's stuff. not. Well, it is writing related because we're talking about a book, right? So, you know, we get to well, count okay. that. Now, right. what? <laughs> you want to get into writing related? I don't know if we have time. How deeply yeah. do you research this kind of stuff? Right. When you are writing, because I've been known to go down research rabbit holes. So um, I'm yeah. I'm pretty good about leavening it in, so I don't give people these huge info dumps of you know see how smart I am. Right. But on the other hand, I've found a lot of excuses not to write <laughs> because I'm yeah. researching women's fashions in the 1860s. <laughs> you know, it's like. Uh, yeah, I'm guilty of that as well. But um, a lot of times when I'm on a roll and I'm writing uh, and I'm in the, the f especially the drafting phase, I actually do a lot of placeholdering. I, I have this three question marks uh, that I use as a placeholder for all kinds of information that I don't know right now. Oh, I don't know that right now. So when I was writing The Healer's Legacy, it was like, oh, she's going to have to forage for some, some plants to eat, right? Uh I don't know that right now. I don't know what those are going to be. Uh, okay, she's going to have to travel a certain distance uh, in a day with a lame horse. Oh, I don't know what that's going to be. So I've just put a placeholder for now. And then when I'm in research mode, I can just go through and ping on those uh, question marks, those triple question marks, and say, okay, t I'm going to resolve this one, this one, and this one, and those are the deep dives that I'll do. But yeah, I should adopt that technique. That's the only way I can get anything written because otherwise, all I do is, oh, squirrel. Like, yeah, no, I'm, I'm totally guilty. It's totally guilty. Yeah, because you start with women's fashion and you end up with, you know, what combs were made of, and then you end up over here in plastic. And I'm like, how the hell did that happen? <laughs> I get to plastic, <laughs> right? This so, is 1860. They didn't know about plastic. No, but the combs took me there, ultimately, because, you know, they didn't make them out of turtle anymore. You know, okay, <laughs> fine. Anyway, oh, and that little whole billiard ball thing, right? Oh, yeah. And then and there you go. Anyway, so, <laughs> and that's how that works. So, yes, I use placeholders because otherwise I Good do exactly, technique. <laughs> I do exactly what we just did. Ping, ping, ping. Um, yeah. Well, it's the holidays. And I hope that uh, those of you listening to this uh, before the holidays, during the holidays, and even after the holidays, have, will have, should have, have had a fabulous holiday season. Thank you again for listening to this edition of the Brick Cave Podcast. Anytime you would like to hear us, just join us online at BrickCavePodcast.com. Our BC Book Club members can enjoy extra episodes and other great advantages such as free books. Details on BCBookClub.com. Thank you again, everyone, for listening. We'll drop in again soon. Good night, Sharon. Good night, Bruce. <laughs>